Praise God. You may be seated. Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of John, chapter 4. I do have an assignment, things I want to share with you tonight. So if you'll get your Bibles out. We're going to look up several scriptures, about six or seven of them, maybe eight. Last week I talked to you about that when you go, you know, we're talking about the month of September being our reach month. And the Lord instructed me, He said, everything you say over this month of September, I want you to talk about reaching, how that we reach out and how that we touch people. And last Wednesday night, I talked with you about how that God goes with us. We don't go alone. And the Word works in, you know, we, when we go to a person that we're reaching out to, we don't go in our own abilities, our own, own strengths. We go in, in God's. And so we can expect God to do things for them. And I want to elaborate a little bit on that today and just take it a little bit further. But reaching people is easy because God works with us. In 1983, I was asked to do a revival meeting in Beaverton, Alabama, the little Methodist church. Pastor James Backus, Jimmy, Jimmy Neal Backus, we called him, and he asked me to come up there and do a five-night meeting. I guess I'd preach Monday and Tuesday night. All day Tuesday, of course, staying with him, and all day Wednesday, he talked to me about this young man that was going to be in the service Wednesday night that he had been getting to come to church some. And his name was Mike, and he said, I've got him coming to church, but he hasn't given his life to the Lord. And he said, I talked to him about the Lord and, and preached to him. And he obviously started coming a few services now, but he said, um, I really want you to, to reach him. You know, with the gospel, well, I, you know, I, I can't tell you what stress that put me in that day thinking I've got to reach this guy. And then I realized after late, I guess in the afternoon or so, I realized I didn't have to reach him or anybody. I just had to make it real. I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, what can I do that would make it work for him? You know, what would, you know, because I, I can't just make him get saved or that would be something we'd do for everybody. And the Lord just said, make it real. He said, tell your story and tell it, and, and tell it like it happened to you and, and then preach that word on top of it and how the word came alive. And there we'll forget going to service that night. And I was thinking, the only person I had on my mind was Mike. You know, and I just thought, Lord, help me, help me reach you. And so I began to preach and I, and I did just what the Lord said, make it real. He said, just, just what, you know, in other words, don't fabricate anything. Just tell like what, what God's done for you, how things are alive in you. And you know, Mark, Mike was the first one to hit the altar that night. And give his life to the Lord. He's still serving God in that church today. Mike, and he, now he's married and got children. I mean, you know, but it's a blessing, you know, but the word is, does it. You remember when I was telling you that testimony and I shared with you a couple of services, three or four services back maybe, or maybe on Sunday, I don't know. But anyway, I shared with you about the two girls that came by the old office up there and was filming TV and they wanted money or something, you know. I don't remember now exactly what it was, food or money for food or what have you. And the Lord told me to take him to the office and minister. Remember, girl one sat down, girl two just, she was pacing and upset and so on. Well, when it was all said and done, and I must have preached 45 minutes to those girls. I mean, just preached and I was just telling them what the Lord had done in my life. And, and, and when I gave the opportunity for this girl that was paying attention, the other one didn't, wasn't paying attention, I didn't think. And so I gave the opportunity for this girl that was sitting in the office to give her life to the Lord. She wouldn't even respond to my you know, asking her, but the girl that had been pacing and mad they were there, she started, started crying and said, there's nothing to keep me from getting saved, you know. And so she got saved, which prompted the other girl to get saved. So I, as we say, I led both of those girls to the Lord that night. And I remember thinking when it was all over and we had gave them some things to help them, and I think Julie Beth took care of it, was our secretary, then she took care of what their need was, you know, and, and they went on. And I was sitting there in the chair, you know, after it had been nearly an hour now, and I was just sitting there thinking, man, you know, what fun that is to lead people to the Lord. And, oh, I've just had fun. That's been an hour of our time, but I led people to the Lord. And then this revelation hit me. I didn't lead anybody to the Lord. The Lord led them to himself. Because I think the term I was actually using, I won them to the Lord. And I thought, I didn't win them to the Lord. The Lord is so, all I did is talk about how good he is, and he won them to himself. You understand what I'm saying? His goodness is what actually won them. But the Lord works with you when you witness to reach people. Amen. Amen. That's right. And so tonight, if you'll take notes, we're talking about carrying the anointing to the people. Amen. We all have a responsibility to share our testimony with other people. Yes. Have you ever thought about how dynamic it is? I look at nearly 8 billion people on the planet today. Not a one of them are a surprise to God that we're here. Right. Your life isn't a surprise to Him. Right. And here we've got 6,000 years of man's history and we're on the tail end of that 6,000 years, 6,000 years back to Adam in the garden, 6,000 years or so. Have you ever thought about that God picked you to be born and strategically, out of 8, and 8 billion people nearly today, He strategically placed you in the generation where He wanted you? Wow. Now, you've got to believe that's for more than just doing common things right. that people do, just surviving and going to work or going to school and 
you got to believe it's bigger than, than just making ends meet and providing groceries and all that. You're, you're here for a specific reason. And so there is a responsibility to reach our generation. And we need to look at it like that. And I'm going to say something to you that I really believe will help you tonight. So just stay with me. Your testimony, write it down somewhere. Your testimony is what's going to reach the hearts of people. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not putting your testimony above the Word of God, but if you have a testimony that we're talking about, it's affected by the Word of God. Your, your testimony is because of the Word of God. What God has done for you, that's, what, that's all a testimony is. What God has done for you, if you share that and relate that properly in a way that, but your testimony, what God's done for you, if you share that in a genuine way to people and not fabricate it. Brother, Brother Smith Wigglesworth said all the time, he said the worst thing Christians do is they fabricate things. And uh, then they, you know, how you ever heard the term evangelistically speaking? In other words, evangelists, you know, they had 50 people that evangelistically said we had probably two or three or 400 people, you know. And that's wrong to do. Not all evangelists, please don't misunderstand me, but that became such a common thing that evangelists sometimes would stretch out their results that people changed it. Instead of evangelistically speaking, they started saying evangelistically speaking because we would, like elastic, we would just stretch it out. Wigglesworth said, he said, any time that you stretch out your story like that and add two things that didn't happen, he said, you weaken what God really did in it. And people that knew Smith Wigglesworth said that when he would tell a story, you could see him five years later, 10 years later, 20, 30 years later, telling the same story. And it sounded just exactly with the same details that he had shared it 40 years earlier, whatever it may be. He didn't add anything to it, just the way it happened. And that was what was impacted people's lives. Well, that's the same thing that God's asking you and me to do. Around 2000 and about 2007, we were all on vacation. James was just a little boy. He was born in 02, so you can imagine he's about five years old. And the girls were teenagers or preteen, you know, Kristen was. And so here we were anyway. We were on, on the beach having the best time of our life, just wonderful week at the beach. And my sister called and I said, brother, she, she didn't call me brother James. She called me James' brother. She said, she said, brother, she said, a friend of mine. Now, this lady was an acquaintance of mine. I, I knew her. I knew her husband that she was talking about and her daughter. But we weren't anything like close or friends or had any relationship. I just knew her through my sister. My sister said, you know my friend and named her. And I said, yeah. She said she died. She was a school teacher. She said she died. I knew she had been struggling, battling disease in her body. And she was young, maybe around 50. And says she died and said, would you come and and." Do her funeral. Will you do? She, Susan, let, my sister didn't even know that we were on vacation, and she said, "Will you do her funerals coming up in a few days?" And it was in time we would have been home from our vacation. But I cannot tell you how I didn't want to do that. And I asked the Lord about it because I've learned to always ask Him. And the Lord said, "No, I want you to do that funeral. That's why I gave you the opportunity. I want you to do that funeral." Well, it was coming up. I think on Sunday we would be back home on Saturday and preach on Sunday morning, and then it was a Sunday afternoon funeral and. And, and I can't tell you how that messed up the rest of my week on the beach. Just the thought of, just the thought, I've got to go to that funeral. And, and the reason I say it messed it up, not because my sister asked me to do it, but because I always feel so inadequate in doing a funeral like that. I think, Lord, I'm not going to say the right things. I'm not going to do what the people need. Uh, so I use excuses. If you've been around me, you've heard me say it. I don't know the person good enough. Uh, I don't know, you know, so forth and so on. And the Lord, the more I just... Struggle over that. The Lord say, I, I want you to do this funeral. He's, and, and the Lord finally told me, I remember this one day driving the van down there at the beach. The Lord said to me, he said, James, he said, this is not about you and her. This is about the people that are coming. It don't have anything to do with you. It don't have anything to do with them. It has all to do with me encountering or meeting those people that will come to that funeral service. And you just say in the things. And he said, all I want you to do is just be yourself and tell the things that God's done for you and make it real. I remember just that he, he put that in my heart. And so anyway, came back, you know, that I just struggled the whole time getting ready for it. But anyway, my point was I wanted to make to you is when I got up there, and of course, I do what we always do. We just preach the word and just say what Jesus did and make it real, you know, that what make it real mean, identify how it's worked for me. And I just talked about heaven and how I've had peace with loved ones that have died and, you know, and so on and so forth. And, you know, I had, it was a very um, high society funeral, a lot, of, a lot of people in my society. And I had more people come up to me. And one, one lady in particular that was very high in society, I never will forget after the funeral, the preacher, she said, I, I, I don't know you that well. I know you're Linda's brother. But said, i tell you one thing. I, I think you really believe what you preached. <laughs> I said, I did. <laughs> now, to her, you got to understand, to her, that was an oddity. Right, she was probably in some church. You can't be in the Bible Belt without 
having most, you know, most of us had some kind of church experience. You live down in this country. So most every Southerner went to church. Most people had a church or some church background. And she said, I, I never heard a preacher preach and really act like he believed what he was talking about. Well, I mean, that's all that God's asking us to do is just because we've experienced what God does in our lives. We make that available to other people and just, just tell it like it is. Let me tell you what God's done for me. We're all responsible. We have an obligation to tell what he's done for us and in us and through us to share with others what, what God has done. Write it down if you didn't already. Your testimony will reach the hearts of people. Amen. It's really, if it reached yours, it'll reach theirs. And so just tell them like that. Your testimony will reach. Write this down. It's valuable. Your, your testimony, what, what God has done for you. If you, don't, if you don't understand the word testimony, don't even write the word testimony. I just mean what God has done for you, what you've experienced from heaven. Your experience with heaven, your testimony is valuable to causing an outbreak, a revival, an awakening. You can actually stir up people's hearts with what God's done for you. You know, what God's done for little old me. That's exactly right. What he's done for you is so real because what he's done in you, he's wanting to do in thousands, maybe perhaps even Amen. millions or billions of people on this planet today. Amen. And whatever you went through that you needed God in your life is not uncommon to what people are going through today. Amen. So what he delivered you from, what he broke you out of, it might have, you know, Sandy I, Sandy, I remember several years ago when you shared one night, preached one night for me and you shared your testimony and your sisters growing up, you remember that? And it was so beautiful to me to get to hear all of that. You know, I mean, Sandy hadn't done all the bad things Susan's done in her life. But, I, you know, I, I tell you this. I was listening in, Joel, in 1983. I was driving on Highway 102 coming from Jasper, going back to Fayette, Alabama, where my ministry was at that time located. I was going back and I was listening to WDJC radio station. And they brought a guy in. Now, this is 1983. They brought a guy in. They say, we've got this man live in our studio, and we're going to let him share his testimony today. And his name is Matt Gober. And that's when they were getting ready to do God Goes Ballooning. If you all remember that, in 1983, Mac secured Legion Field in Birmingham, and they released something like 50,000 helium balloons, all of them holding a, a witness, I don't know, track or something, and they were sending them out to the four quarters of the world, you know, and corners of the world, right? And, uh, and believing God to reach. I think it, I asked him one time, and I've forgotten how many it was. It might have been as many as 100,000 balloons, but it was amazing. A friend of ours that became a friend of ours later, Bob Salk, who had Balloon World, and one that provided those balloons. Anyway, but I listened to Mac go over on the testimony. Now, I'm driving my car. I've been saved three years, you know, and, and Mac was telling his testimony on there. And if you've ever heard Mac's testimony, <laughs> I mean, how many of you, if you knew Mac, and he's been in our church, you know, back when, before he went to heaven, of course, you know, I don't know that he's been here since then. Well, the kingdom comes. I mean, you know, and they come. Because uh, Mac told me one time, he said, James, he said, I preach in a lot of churches, even in your area, I preach in a lot of churches, but I want to leave my DNA in yours. So I, his DNA, spiritual DNA is here, that's for sure. And um, so anyway, uh, I'm listening to that. And, and like I said, if you've ever heard Mac tell his testimony about he was this horrible, mean, outlaw biker and, and you know, and hurt people and beat up people and, and rape and pillage and do all these things and drugs out of his mind. He, he was under a thrown in a stall of a barn by his friends because he was so crazy out of his mind from drugs. They put him in a stall of a barn and locked him in that stall and would shove food for days under the stall of that door. And, I'm, and you, if you knew Mac, you'd be like, no, nah, it wasn't you, Mac, because Mac looked like a teddy bear. I mean, he just, you know, because when Jesus changed him, you can't imagine he came from that back. But anyway, I was driving down the road listening to that in 1983. This was, of course, prior to meeting him. And, and I listened to that, and Mac was telling all these, I'm just going to use this word, horrible things that he had done. You know, because most of us think when we share our testimony, we talk about what we did before Jesus. But he's telling all these horrible events that he did in his life. And then, of course, how God saved him out of that, you know. And I'm driving that car thinking, I didn't do all those horrible things. I did enough. But I didn't do that. So my testimony is not as good as Max. And I was thinking, you know, I'm not, my testimony is not as impacting as that. And then I heard that before he got through, while I'm, while I'm thinking that, Max said on that live broadcast, Max said, some of y'all don't have that. Y'all might be sitting there listening to me and saying, I never did that. I never did this. And he said, you've actually got the better testimony that God kept you from those things. But the point I'm trying to make is, anyway, our testimony, as insignificant as you might think it is, now I tell you what, if you go back to the, what it was just the day before you got saved, you'll remember what an impact Jesus had on your life, what it was to come out of darkness. Or Some people weren't, weren't trapped in drugs. Some were trapped in religion. Whatever you're trapped in, 
and God delivered you, it was, it was enough to impact you and it changed you forever. Well, you're still serving God today, sitting on a blue chair today, right? So it was big enough to do something in you. I'm just saying what God did in you to be able to relate that to somebody is big enough to start a revival. But if you keep it to yourself, it won't. You have to, you have to share it. You have, you have to share it. I read, used to know the statistics. I think it's like one out of every five Christians, or no, maybe it was one out of every 10 that'll ever share their faith with anybody. They said that nine, I think it was nine tenths, you know, in other words, nine, 90%, let's just say that, 90% of all Christians will never share their testimony and lead anybody to the Lord in their lifetime. Now that's heartbreaking because what God did in you is powerful enough to do it again in somebody else. And you got God working with you. Same way, not just in salvation, but same way in healing. How many has ever experienced, now I want to hear an amen if this is you. How many has ever experienced God divinely healing your body? Most of us in this room have experienced that multiple times. Well, I found that what God did in you, it'll work in others. You know, have you ever prayed for somebody to be healed? Have you ever prayed for somebody to be healed? Were 100% of them, did 100% of them receive a manifestation of that? No, probably, honestly, no, not all of them. Did you still thank God even when they didn't get a manifestation? Because you knew the word was the same. If they got healed, if got the manifestation, you, you thank God. If you didn't see a manifestation, you kept thanking God. Here's something I've learned, y'all write this down. If you don't ever pray for the sick, no one's ever going to get healed. You, I, I know this is bad. I'm not going to say this because I'm going to correct it in just a minute. But it seems like just if you looked at outward things, and we're trained by the Word of God not to look at outward results. But if you look at it outwardly, it, it looks like when you pray for people to be healed, some will get healed, some won't. It looks like that. Now, we say everybody we pray for gets healed by faith because it doesn't, it, I'm not moved by the fact they're still coughing or still limping or still got symptoms because the Word won't return void. That's where faith is concerned. But here's what I've learned, and you ought to write this down. The more people you pray for, the more will get healed. The more people you pray for, the more people you lay your hands on to get something from God, they will get it. They, you know, more will. If, and that's why I said to you the other day, if one out of ten if only one out of ten people will get their healing when you minister to them, then pray for a hundred and you'll get ten people. Amen. Just increase the numbers. Yes. Don't be a Christian that says, I'm not going to share my faith with Come people. Whether it's your faith for salvation or your faith for healing. How many of you have ever had God do something financially for you and you Amen. knew it was God? Yes. Well, how many of you know there's people out there today that need God doing something financially for them? And yet it may not happen unless you, who God placed strategically where he's at, where you're at. And if you listen to Joel's testimony Wednesday night a week ago, he was talking about how that God, and you've heard him say this many times, how God put him and Janice in Jasper. And they knew God was directing them here. Well, look at this. God takes you on his 6,000 years timeline that he could put you in any generation, and he took you, and today out of nearly 8 billion people, he placed you right where he put you, right in the timeline that he's got you. And it's not for you to live to yourself. So your testimony is valuable to affect an outbreak, a revival, an outpouring. So how the message of Christ affected you or rescued you will rescue others. John's Gospel, chapter 4. Have you found that? Should have your Bible already open there. John 4, this is where Jesus had ministered early in the chapter. He had ministered to the woman at the well of Samaria. After having ministered to the woman at the well of Samaria, she leaves the well, you know, the water, her water part. In fact, let's pick up with verse, because he's ministering to her out there at the well. And uh, let's start with verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that you're the, the Messiah will come. Jesus said, I am the Messiah that's talking to you. Verse 27. Now upon this came his disciples and marveled that he was talking with the woman, yet no man said, why seekest thou or why talkest thou with the woman? Were you trying to find out from her? Underline this in verse 28. The woman left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men. Now, she went back and evangelized the men in that city. Literally the people, you know, not just the men, other than more than likely in the village of those days, the men, what was called the elders, probably is what she had to get through first to talk to others. Now, I asked you to underline that. I want you to underline the water pot. That's what that woman had went out there for was water. And a lot of times you and I, we go to minister to somebody and they're all busy, you know, and think, well, maybe they're too busy. Maybe they got something on their mind. I don't need to talk to them today. It's a busy day for them. Now, this woman had something she's busy about. But I want you to notice that what Jesus shared with her 
superseded what her business was about. She forgot all about the water pot, just dropped it and said, forget that. I think what you and I need to realize is what we've got to share with others will cause whatever they're busy about, it'll supersede what they're busy about and, and it'll become more important. Because I, I'm just asking you, I'm just, the Lord's instructing me now to give you a few things about this. I think this is real valuable that we catch this kind of revelation that what we've got and what we're to share with people is already considered more valuable in the heart of those people and we just don't realize it because they're just busy in their life trying to... Why, why are people so busy anyway? I'm talking about people outside of the church. Why are people so busy? Maybe just trying to cover up the vacancies they're having, that they hold in their heart. And you and I carry the answer. And if we carry the answer, it will supersede it. Probably already does and we just don't know it. They haven't shown it. We haven't given them a reason to show it to us. But start recognizing. All right, now, so that's verse 28. The woman then left her water pot her water pot, and went her way into the city and said to the men, come see a man which told me all things I ever did. Is not this the Christ? Well, while she's back at the city, we talked about this, while she's back at the city ministering, telling the people come out to the well where Jesus is, look at verse 31. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him saying, Master, eat, because they had been gone while he was ministering to her, you know, to get food. Remember that? You go back to the earlier verses, Jesus was hungry, and we know he's also thirsty because he asked for a drink. Verse 34, they had brought him some food, and they said, Master, eat. He said unto them in verse 32, when they offered him food, they said, I've got meat to eat that you don't know of. Now, what is meat but that which satisfies hunger? So Jesus said, I've got something that satisfies my hunger more than what meat could do. Well, what is your hunger? Well, he's going to tell us as we read further. But when he said, I've got meat to eat that you, I've got meat to eat that you don't know of, the disciples said to each other, has any man brought him something else to eat while we were going down to Kentucky Fried? Did somebody go to Lee's and get him something else? That's the way they looked at it. They couldn't understand it because they knew he was hungry. He'd sent them to get vittles. Verse 34 said, Jesus said unto them, My meat, here's what satisfies me, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Now when that becomes the most satisfying thing in your life, then your witness will be accepted with others. When that's the most satisfying thing in your life. Now, if the most satisfying thing in your life is to get a payday from working all week, if the most satisfying thing of your life is to get things done around the house and all this, then that's, that's what it'll take to satisfy you. But if the most important thing in your life becomes getting Jesus to the heart of others, then nothing else will satisfy you. You know what I'm saying? I want you to think about that. Don't you, now, let me ask you a question. Let's just, I'm put, trying to put this in a realistic way that we can think about it. If getting Jesus to the heart of others is more important to you, then they could give you a $10,000 a week raise and it wouldn't satisfy you. That's right. Amen. That's right. And God will do that for you. That's right. Amen. He don't mind doing that for you. Right. But I'm saying, but you're not, but look, I'm still not satisfied until I take people Jesus. Come on. Amen. Don't you think, I'm just asking you this now as a question, with what Jesus is about, Son of God, what he came and paid the price for, I'm sorry, y'all help me on this one. Who did he pay the price to be saved anyway? Everybody. Any man that would come to him. And which ones does he want to come to him? Well, he said he's not willing that any perish. Write this down. You'll never share Jesus to the wrong person. You'll never share Jesus to a person that doesn't need him. If you share him to an unbeliever, obviously they need him, a lost person, what we call lost, right? What if you accidentally share your faith to somebody that's already saved? Honey, if they're already saved, they would love to hear it again. And they, in fact, they'll let you have your turn so they can have their turn. <laughs> I'll tell you what God's done for me. No, you'll never offend a, you'll never offend a real Christian witnessing about Jesus to them. But you cannot share. I'm going to add, add that. I'm going to just put that in front of you. You cannot share your, per, your, your faith, what God's done for you in your testimony. You can't share Bible scriptures. You could say it like this. You can never share Jesus to the wrong person because he's died for the whole world. Now, it's up to them what they do with it, but he's not willing that anybody, anybody perish, so he paid the price for all men, all men to be saved. So you don't really, you know, I, I think we kind of waste our time sometimes when we say, should I share with this person, Lord? And he's like, duh, well, yeah. <laughs> I know I should have preached in happy church. Marilyn Hickey's husband, who's in heaven now, you know, he was Wally Hickey. He wasn't as known as Marilyn because Marilyn's, you know, worldwide ministry. 
Wally was pastor of the church back in Denver, Colorado. And uh, he named his church Happy Church. And I wished I'd have done that here. Because you can have what you say. <laughs> We're a happy people. But we sometimes go to the Lord, Lord, should I? I mean, and I know God can direct you who's ready and when it's the right time and all that. And I'm not trying to negate that, but I'm just saying we don't need to struggle too much over that because it's always right to give people the gospel. Right. And you can't, you can't share Jesus to a person that's wrong. You know, like, oh, I shouldn't have that. God didn't want me to share with him. Oh, no, you'll never have that happen. So in this, let's keep reading because I want you to see something and get down to it. But he said unto them, I've got meat, verse 32, I've got meat to eat you don't know of, satisfying things to me. And somebody else brought him food. They wondered, verse 34, Jesus said, No, my meat of the satisfying thing in my life is to do the will of God that sent me and to finish his work on this earth. That needs to be the heart cry of every Christian. Then he said, and this is where I wanted to get you, verse 35, he said, Say not ye, or don't y'all say, we'd say it like this, King James, a little blind to us, where it's written back in the 1600s, I guess, 1611, I believe it was the year. And verse 36 says, and verse 35, excuse me, Jesus said, Don't y'all say that there are yet four months and then comes harvest. In other words, when you plant seeds, about four months. And that's whatever crop he was talking about there in the Middle East. I don't, I don't know in, in Israel. I don't know what crop he was talking about. Well, we say over here, if you plant sweet corn, about 90 days, three months. About three months is a crop. And so I don't know. Other things have different things. I think it's, uh, is it asparagus that's two years? You plant that, you got to hoe that and work that for two years before you reap that. That's why I don't ever grow asparagus. <laughs> So, but you understand what I'm saying. On some crops, we'd say it like that. On some crops, don't y'all say you put the seed in the ground and about four months later, it's harvest time. But he, Jesus said, but I say unto you, lift up your eyes. Remember, we preached this to you last Sunday. Lift up your eyes and look on the fields for they're white already to harvest. Now, of course, I brought out to you all a few services back how that this woman had went back to her village there in Samaria, preached to them. And as we read further, look down at verse 39, many of the Samaritans of that city believed on Jesus and saying of the woman which testified, he told me all that I ever did. In other words, that woman preached and they started believing. That woman became an evangelist. Don't tell me women can't preach. She went out and preached what Jesus did for her and got many people to believe in Jesus and they haven't even come and met him yet. But verse 40 says, so when the Samaritans were come unto him, now it says that village of people just emptied out and came to him. Well, when Jesus was talking about don't y'all say there's four months and then you put in the seed and then after four months comes the harvest? I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look. He was looking at all those Samaritans leaving their village coming out toward that well where he was and they all wore their white garb, you know, their white outfits. And he said, look, they're already white with harvest. One translation says this, these fields are already white with all them Samaritans. But there's a truth here I want you to underline and get. This is why I said to you, you can't ever preach to the wrong person. You'll never share Jesus to somebody that doesn't need him. Underline this. He said they're already white with harvest. You don't have to wait four months. There'll always be somebody that's ready today to be reaped. Reaped. Listen to this. Now I'm going to read it to you out of the Amplified Classic. I'm not going to put it up, so just listen tonight. This is Amplified Classic. Jesus said, see how they're already white for harvesting? Already, that's the word I'm really wanting to emphasize. It's already. You look at somebody and say, I wonder if they'll accept my testimony. Well, if you ask Jesus, he says they're already ready. Amen. Yes. Easy to read version says, open your eyes and look. In other words, he was kind of indicating to, the, to us that if we think somebody is not ready to be saved, then our eyes aren't open. So he said to them in the easy to read version, open your eyes and look at the fields. In other words, pay attention to what your eyes are seeing. Look, they're ready for harvesting now. The easy to read version says, they're ready for harvesting now. Now, if you'll write that in your note and meditate on that for a few nights, I'm telling you, God will speak that back to you when you need it at, at McDonald's tomorrow, wherever you might be. He'll say, see that one over there? They're ready right now for harvesting. Faith will be in your heart for it. They are ready for harvesting now, the easy to read version says. The Passion Translation says this, says, look at the people coming. Now is harvest time, Jesus said. Look at the people coming. Now is harvest time. For their hearts, he went on to say, now this is the passion, for their hearts are like vast fields of ripened grain ready for a spiritual harvest. Now what I'm asking you, the Holy Spirit's put in my heart this afternoon to tell you is that we need to start, and I just used McDonald's because I don't know where you go for lunch. I hope it's not McDonald's too often. When you're standing there and looking, you know, at Walmart, rather than being mad, 
that it's so crowded. How many people are you going to think you're going to win to the Lord aggravated? I'm going to walk in Walmart aggravated and going to lead people to the Lord. No, you're yielding to the wrong spirit already. You know, park, I mean, you can get mad. I mean, the devil will make you mad in the parking lot before you ever get in. Right? Parking's a problem. I saw one parking sign the other day. wasn't in Walmart, but this sign the other day said, Frogs parking only. All others will be towed. Okay. Okay. Bring the ladder back. Let me try that again, Brother John. That didn't go over good. Yeah, listen, I won't aggravate. Can I, I'm going to tell you something really funny. I, this, I got to tell you, now this is not Brother James's confession. This is a friend of mine named David's confession. He said this. Now David is a, as you see him a lot of times. If y'all watch Eagle Mountain Church, he's, he's the one always pulling the pulpit out for Brother George and back, you know, a little ball-headed man that loves Israel and he's, he's got enough guns to um, destroy a nation. And, um, but he's a great guy. I love David. And David said this the other day. He said, I've got a new idea. He said, when your wife is talking to husbands, now this is not my confession, all right? Because it's going to be a bad confession when I get through. But I'm blaming this all on David, all right? David told me the other day, he said, uh, said anytime your wife gets really angry, and she's just really, really angry. And Nadine, can I borrow you just a minute? I want you to stand up with that blanket. I'm just going to use it for an example. Stand up. I want to borrow your blanket just a minute, and then you can warm right back up. I'm so, we're so glad you're here tonight. Now, stand up. I want to show you. He said, if your wife gets really... No, 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 no. They're going, they're going, you're just going to help me. He said, if, uh, <laughs> he said, if your wife gets really angry at you, and she's just angry and spouting off, he said, come up. He said, come get a towel out of the kitchen and put it on her like a cape and said, look at you. Now you're super angry. He said, she'll either laugh or you'll die. He was one of the two. Thank you, Nadine. You can be seated. There you go. I don't think I'm going to sit down there. <laughs> you go up. <laughs> I thought, he's probably right about some things, you know. Super angry. That'd get me in trouble at the house real quick. <laughs> we weeping and gnashing the teeth. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, man. Okay, but I'm saying the devil will try to make you mad for getting Walmart. But, you know, instead of looking at the crowd like I can't get down these aisles and, you know, this kind of thing and they're all this and fussing. Why don't you just start looking at all these people going to and fro in Walmart and saying, look at them coming to me. They're ripe for harvest. God, now I believe God's providential in our lives, right? He does things providential, not by accident. And we ought to say, look at this. God put me here at the same time these people are here. He must want me to minister. And I can't, I can't pick a one that'd be wrong. Come on, amen. To just love on, do a kind deed to, say hello to, something like that. Susan got to, today in Birmingham at a place of business over there. While she was there, she got to witnessing, witnessing to two ladies over there. And uh, she said this one girl just working with her, you know, and, and, and helping her in the place there. And said, every time Susan would say something, this girl would say, amen, amen, amen. I thought, bring that girl back. I need an amen. I'd... <laughs> But they'll listen to you. They're already white for harvesting, Jesus said. They're ready for a spiritual harvest. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Are y'all getting anything out of this tonight? Don't, don't look at like nobody wants to get saved. I, you know, I used to think that one time. I thought nobody wants what we've got. And I thought, I was saying that one time, and the Lord said to me, he said, James, you wanted it. He said, what would make you think others don't want it? You wanted it. There was a time you wanted it. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, look at verses... I'm going to start with verse 1 and 2 because I want to remind you I was preaching this to you a few services back too. Uh, let's start with verse, oh, just because of time. Go to verse 3 and you'll see where I, I preached this to you a few services back. If our gospel's hid, remember that we talked about? If it's hid, it's hid to the people that are lost. How come it's hidden? Because verse 4 says, In whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Well, verse 5 says, now this is important. Now this is what I want to underline is verse 5. Paul said, we preach, and I'm talking about you sharing with others now, what you preach to others. Preaching doesn't mean you've got to get behind a pulpit, you know, and hack and, and that kind of thing. But what preaching means is that you're proclaiming something to people. You're telling people. So think of that verse 5 like that. Paul says, we preach not ourselves. We're preaching Christ Jesus the Lord. In other words, I'm not trying to convince people to like James. I'm just trying to convince people to like Jesus. And so I said, I tell you, my life's just not all that well. Well, we're not preaching me. I'm not preaching you. You're not preaching yourself. It's not you that's got to be perfect. We're not saying, oh, come to Jesus because I'm perfect. <laughs> that doesn't, that's not what it's about. It's come to Jesus because he's perfect. Let me tell you how good Jesus is. And, and, of course, you know, Sunday we were talking about making sure that we're sharing with people that, that it's not just 
some old traditional thing, you know, come to Jesus means get in church and make your life miserable. Right. What Jesus means is, is have an encounter with him. Because I, I know I say this to you Sunday, but I found it's very awakening to people when, when I'm trying to talk to somebody. If I just say, well, when I got saved, they just close the door on me right there. If I say, when I got saved, because they, they, they've got preconceived ideas what that means. Right. But if I say it to them, say, look, I was in, in 1979, I tell people this, and it, it, this will strike their thinking. I say, well, they say, why are you living different? Why are you not drinking? Why are you not doing these things? You know? And I say, well, I'll tell you why. Because in 1979, early December of 1979, I was coming in one night from a, from a nightclub. And now they're listening to me because that's where they were last night. Right. I said, I was coming in uh, December of 1979. I was coming in about 1 o'clock in the morning from a nightclub. And when I got to my room, my bedroom, Jesus was sitting on my bed. Amen. And I had an encounter with him that night. Well, they don't shut me down to listen to that because everybody wants to hear that story whether they, whether they want it for themselves or not. They're like, that's pretty interesting. And Jesus was sitting on your bed? Yeah. He was sitting on the bed and he talked to me, dealt with me that night. And it changed my life. And they can see it's an impact because I'm still, I'm still delivered after 40 years. I wish I had time to tell you some of the things. But, but I mean, just saying, you just got to find creative ways to share and be honest and not, not fabricate it and just tell them what Jesus did for you. But they're wanting that. Now look at this. He said, we're not preaching ourselves, verse 5 says, but we preach Christ Jesus the Lord. That's our message is what Jesus has done, and that he's Lord. And then he adds this. He said, now I'm going to read the whole verse again because I want to read the whole, whole verse together. We preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves, your servants for Jesus' sakes. In other words, I'm not preaching me, I'm preaching Jesus, but I'm also preaching me being your servant. Yes, right. Now, what does that mean? Well, I'm telling you about Jesus because he's the one that done this in my life. He did it for me. He healed me or he brought me a financial blessing or he got me out of this problem in a, you know, whatever, if it's relationship struggles that people are going through or to be born again, whatever it might be. And you say, well, he's done that for me or he's, he's worked in my life and, and I'm here, your servant to like a, like a waitress to serve you. I'm here to serve you the anointing of God that'll bring a breakthrough in your life. He's anointed me. See, he's anointed me. What he's done in me, now he's anointed me to help get that done in you. And I'm here to serve that to you. So we're bringing breakthroughs into people's lives. We're bringing deliverances or healings, whatever it may be. So that's what we mean by I'm your servant, to bring you a breakthrough or, or a healing or a manifestation of God. Look at Luke 21. Here's something you can count on. Now, I'm, I've already, I started this out telling you that it's your responsibility to share with other people the Jesus that they need in their lives, whatever level of Jesus they need. Now, you know what I mean is to be born again. Maybe they're already saved, but they need help in some areas. And these are things you can expect. You can expect their heart to already be ready for the message to be right, Jesus to work with you. Here's another one. Look what he promised you. Because people get nervous. Sometimes people get plum cotton mouth just thinking about going over and talking to somebody. But look what Jesus promised. I'm going to start with verse 13. He says, what you're going through right now, and he talked about that in previous verses to them. He said, what you're going through is going to turn to you for a testimony. Well, that's a good word. Whatever, if I'm going through a problem, it's about to be a testimony. I'm going to use it to undo everybody that goes through this. Yeah, that's, that's worth thinking about, saints. Anytime I go through a problem, rather than be discouraged by my problem, I'll just say, you know what? I'm going, to get, I'm going to walk this thing out and get my freedom and I'm going to find anybody else that's going through the same thing and I'm going to liberate them with this. Devil, devil, you messed up bringing this problem on me because I'm about to liberate anybody that goes through this problem. Well, that's good. And then look what Jesus promised. Now, this is Jesus talking. Look at the 15th verse and put a square around this verse. This is powerful. Jesus said, because you got to, he see he's talking about a testimony, verse 13. Testimony is what you share with others, testify. And then he says, I'll give you a mouth and wisdom, which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. In other words, when you go to share with Jesus, God says, I'm, Jesus says, I'm going to put such a wisdom in your mouth and the right words to say. You don't have to worry about it and you don't even have to think. In fact, let me read the uh, verse 14. I, I skipped that one. He said, settle it therefore in your hearts. And that's what I'm asking you to do in the service tonight is settle this, not to meditate beforehand what you're going to answer. That's what makes you cotton mouth, trying to remember what you're going to say and get everything just right. Forget all of that. You don't have to, this, we're not talking about you going and making up a story. We're talking about you telling what yes. God's done for you. Yes. Amen. That's good. Amen. So I, how many times have you heard somebody say, well, I just wouldn't know what to say. Yes, you do. <laughs> just, do just tell them what God's done for you. Well, what if they don't want to hear it? No, you're the ripe. Come on. Amen. Ready for harvest. Yes. And so he says, don't worry about what you're going to say because God's going to give you a mouth and wisdom, the right words, 
which all your adversaries or anybody that would stand against it normally are not going to be able to. He said they're not going to be able to resist your words. Listen to this out of these other translations. This is the Amplified. It says, this will be a time and an opportunity for you to testify about me. That's what he said in that 13th verse. This will be a time and an opportunity for you to testify about me. And then he gets down into that 15th verse. He says, make up your mind right now not to worry. This is the message translation. Make up your mind right now not to worry about it. I'll give you the words and wisdom that will reduce all your accusers to stammerers and stutterers. In other words, if you're afraid about what people will say on your job, if you say, I just want, you know, Jesus has really been a blessing to me, man. He's really worked for me. And then you begin to try to say that. You think he's going to be harsh and cut you off. And yet, if you trust God, he says, I'm going to give you such words that when you share them, this guy will just be able to stutter. He'd just stammer and stutter. He won't even be able to Amen. interrupt you. Amen. That's what, you know. Listen to it out of the Living Bible. He says, I'll give you the right words, and I'll give you such logic that none of your opponents will be able to even reply. That's powerful. That was the Passion, excuse me, the Living Bible. I don't know what I said to you. The, the TLB, the Living Bible. So the necessary thing is for you and me to carry our testimony to people. And in, in here, I know time's slipped away, so I want you to write this down very quickly. I'll give you this real quickly. Because people now, now here's what's made it hard for you and I to approach people with needs. Now remember, that need could be anything. But it could be the need to be saved. That's the big one, right? Or it could be the need to be healed or the need to know that God could restore their relationships or you know, get their mind renewed. You, know, you, ever, you ever dealt with people just battling suicides and, and things like that, you know, suicidal tendencies or drug addiction that's messed up their minds and things like that. And you feel like, I'm not going to be able to say the right words that'll, that'll get their attention. Here's the reason why. It's because we've got to remember, and this is why I said this to you last week, is that I think you wrote this down last week. It's not, I want you to write it down if you didn't. It'd be good to put in your notes. This is the best definition of the anointing I can give you. Now, there's others I've given you over the years. They're all good. But this is good at what we're talking about. The anointing just means God working alongside of you. Simply put, it just means God's working with you. Of course, really from within side you, really. He's working within you. But I'm just saying you're not doing this alone. That's why we spent all last Wednesday night talking about He's with you when you go to minister to people. You're not, you're not saying, I'm on my own. You know, I wish I had this friend to go with me. Well, you got Jesus. He sticks closer than a brother. And He's going to help you. And he's going to convict their heart. And while you're saying the Word, He works with that Word to... Touch their heart. Amen. That's why the people, that the same crowd, now think about it, the same crowd that were mean and had yelled crucify Jesus were the same a little bit later when Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. The Bible says they were pricked in their heart and they said, the ones that used to say crucify him, crucify Now those same people are saying, what must we do to be saved? Because that word that Peter preached pricked their heart. So God's working. The Holy Spirit's working with us. Amen. He's working on the inside. Yes. So people have real needs. Now, this is something we've got to realize, and, and I'm not going to keep you long, but I want you to think of this thought before we go any further. The people do have real needs, and if they're dying with cancer, that's a real need. Right. It's, a, it's a realistic need to think, realize, how can I bring something? Here's the answer. Write this down. The necessary thing is for you and I to carry an anointing that's equal to the bondage that people are in. Wow. Wow. You understand what I mean by that? Now, don't, don't get thrown off by the word equal if you don't like it because I know the anointing is much more. But I'm just saying they've got a problem. I've got an anointing that's equal to that. The necessary thing is for me and you to carry with us all the time an anointing that's equal to whatever bondage that a person's in, whatever trouble they're in. Now, we do. That carries that. But, you know, we have to be cognizant of it. We have to be talking about it. And the more you, the more you talk about the anointing, the bigger the anointing manifests in you. This is why, and I'm going back to last Wednesday night, but you remember this, this is why Jesus always told people, remember we studied this in Luke chapter 4 last Wednesday night, Jesus always told people, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He's anointed me. Peter said that, of course we've got it recorded, he preached that when he started out his ministry at Nazareth in Luke chapter 4, right after he came from the mountain of temptation, he said the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. But according to Peter, that's the same message he preached everywhere he went. So Jesus, every time he preached, he started it out somehow. The Spirit of the Lord's on me. Yes. I'm anointed. Yes. Brother Hagin, as, as a contemporary of our time, Brother Hagin picked up on that, and that's what he did all the time. He would tell people, well, I'm anointed to pray for the sick. I'm anointed. Now, some people get offended by that, but they got offended by Jesus wanting to throw him off the cliff yeah. for it. Yeah. But the point is, not, don't worry about the people that want to throw you off the cliff. Now, did they throw Jesus off the cliff? No. 
See, we're afraid of those people that want to throw you off the cliff. But did, I'm going to ask you again, did they throw him off the cliff? They wanted to, but did they? No. The Bible says Jesus just passed through the midst of them. Now that's God working with you. See, if you've got God, and, and I'm saying with you, but it's inside of you with you, so you got to understand that. But just think, now, if I go with God, and you've got to be cognizant of this all the time. It's got, this has to be a thought in your mind constantly in your spirit and talking about it. If I'm walking like this and God and I are going and we're going into approach a situation to try to bring Jesus into that situation, I'm going with him. And then if the people for any reason didn't want to hear it like they didn't want to hear Jesus and they wanted to grab him and throw him off the cliff, the Bible says they carried him out to the edge of the city. So I, now don't worry because the Holy Spirit let him carry him that far. But I tell you what, Jesse Laplana said, and when people are running you out of town, he said, just start marching, act like you're leading the parade. <laughs> you know, but I just thought of that. But when Jesus is pushing you inside, the people are pushing to get you out, there's at some point, now somewhere in the route from the synagogue to the edge of the cliff, ever how many city blocks that might have been or less, I don't know, but at whatever distance it was, somewhere before they got to that cliff, God in him hit them in the jaws and pushed them back and they're standing there dumbfounded and Jesus just walked through the midst of them. And he'll do that same thing for you and me no matter what, what the situation is. You've got to believe that and trust him for that. And then, so we've got to make sure we're confessing too. The Spirit of the Lord's upon me. He's anointing me. And carry an anointing that's equal to their problems and know that you are. Now, what are you saying, James? Before you leave the house, before you leave the house, settle it in your heart I don't care how long you got to get up early. I, I wish I had time to go over tonight ways to increase that manifestation of the anointing out of you, and I'll tell you some of them, but I don't have time to get into it because time slipped away. But I will say this, is whatever it takes, every how many mornings it takes getting up and doing this, if you do it on a regular basis, you'll stay maintained. But once you get, it's, it's kind of like flying an airplane, you know, to get a plane off of the ground, you have to go full throttle. Full throttle. Takes everything that engine's got. And depending on what plane it is, you have to reach a certain ground speed before you pull back on that yoke because it's not going to fly till you reach that. Depends on the weight and so on the plane itself. And so whatever you got to get, you got to get that down that runway. You got to have enough runway to get that far. Now, here's the point. And it takes full throttle to get off that ground. And it takes full throttle to climb altitude because of gravity. And so you got that law of lift working and thrust and drag working for you and you're flying. But now once you get the altitude that you need, you can back that throttle back. You can turn that down to a lean mixture of fuel and so on or whatever. And you can back that thing down and, and it almost, not idle, but you know, you've got it back down pretty good and you'll maintain that altitude. So what I'm saying to you, to get to the point I want you to get to, it may take a lot. You may have to get up some mornings and you may have to go over this while. It may not be ready. You may not be ready this week. But you need to get to a place, and once you get there, maintain it. Don't ever cut the engines off. But maintain that momentum, I'm talking spiritually, that the anointing you carry is big enough to handle anything you run into today. You're not going to walk into something. Listen, I was listening to Brother Hagin one time. Brother Hagin said, now this was in 19, this was in the 1940s. This was a long time ago. There was a pastor friend of his, and he was, past, let's see, Brother Hagin was in North Texas. I forgot what city he was living in. And a friend of his wife, another pastor, a minister's wife, was in the final stages of cancer. Started out in, in her left breast, and then by this time it had spread throughout her body, and she was dying with cancer. Now, this is the 1940s, and they didn't, didn't have much help for her. She was at home, in her bed at home, a little house they lived in. And Brother Hagin and his wife, Aretha, and they took another couple, a minister and his wife, another pastor, and the four of them drove 300 miles from where they lived in Texas to be out here uh, in very far out West Texas to minister to this woman. And he said, we just came in there and, and lived with them for several days. He said, we got there day and night, round the clock. We'd be around her bedside. He said, we hardly ate. In fact, I think he said in three days and nights that we were there, we only ate maybe one meal. Because we just stayed at it. You know, they were there to get this woman healed and raised up. And she was just laying there, uh, you know, lifeless almost in this final stages of cancer. He said, we were just going back and forth. Sometimes, you know, one of us go out to refresh, go to the bathroom, whatever, and rest a minute, you know, and we'd come back. Like I say, we ate one meal in three, three days or so. And he said, we were just around that. And said, at this one time, we were standing around her bedside. Said, Aretha was standing here and I was on the side of the bed with her. And on the other side, was the other minister and his, he was at the head and, and, you know, next to her head 
and his wife next to him and Brother Hagin across from the other wife like this. And they were just praying and said, the Holy Spirit said to us, now we're all praying in tongues, he said, all praying in the Spirit. And he said, the Holy Spirit, after after three days and three nights now, working against this, binding this cancer, commanded to go. Well, first of all, Brother Hagin had got the word. I'm just going to share this and let you go home. Brother Hagin had got the word from the Lord when he was out of the room for a few minutes earlier. Said the Lord said to him, said, you know, you've been doing a lot of asking for healing. He said, go in there and begin to thank me because healing already belongs to her. This is when he was first learning how to operate in faith. Said healing belongs to her. So he had shared that with them and they all four went back in there with a different attitude. We're going to just start thanking God. So they just all hit it in tongues, they said. Just praying in tongues, thanking God that she's healed, thanking God she's healed. And the Spirit of the Lord told Brother Hagin to go to the foot of the bed. And he said, while we're all four in there praying and standing at the foot of the bed, said, I'm praying like this with my eyes closed. We all had our eyes closed, I guess. And he said, I thought to myself, why would I go to the foot of the bed? What impact would that have? That wouldn't make any difference. And he said, so I just kept on praying. And again, the Spirit of the Lord said, go to the foot of the bed. He said, I just went on three or four times. It seemed like a long time. I was just going. I'd kind of lope my eyes and look around and say, what good would that do? And he'd go back to praying. And he said, finally, I just got to the point, well, if God's telling me this, I'm just going to go to the foot of bed and see what it might do instead of questioning it. So he said, I just kind of now walked. And he said, kind of opened my eyes to walk around. And I noticed all the other three, including the woman laying on the bed because she's just laying there nearly gone. And said, all Aretha and the other minister and his wife, they all had their eyes closed. And I walked around to the foot of the bed praying, continue praying. And he said, I don't know why it is, but God just sometimes will tell you things to obey him. And when you do that, it makes the difference. And he said, I just stood at the foot of the bed. Now with my eyes opened, I'm praying, looking at her laying there. And said, I noticed when I did that now, I, I, I left and walked to the foot of the bed. Said, Aretha, who was standing up here, not holding hands with her. She's standing at the head of the bed next to the woman's head on the side. Said her eyes were completely closed. And he said that little bedroom was small and, and it was dark in there. You know, it was just dark that time of the day or night. And he said, she, Aretha, without opening her eyes, when I moved around the foot of the bed, she didn't even open her eyes. She kept praying in the tongues and said she just walked around to the foot of the bed and said she wouldn't even known I did that because I'd watched her. She, her eyes were closed. She didn't know I'd done that. And said so she stood up there beside me. And then said while I was praying, said because I told you that cancer had started in the lady's left breast, he said I'm just in there praying now. We're obeying God doing it. And all four, y'all, y'all get the picture, all praying in tongues, you know, it's just loud. Said I saw what looked like a bat, a bat but bigger, larger, came out of her left breast area and just flew out and just said, I felt it just like it ran out of the room, just went out of the room and said, in fact, the other pastor who was standing on the other side of the bed, like Joel, like we got the lady between, he's standing over there, his eyes are closed and he said, he told Brother Hagin later when they went out, said, I felt something fly past me. He didn't see anything. He said, I felt something fly past me. And Brother Hagin said, I know you did because I saw it fly past you. Wow. That spirit of cancer came out of her and she got so well, she jumped off just in a few minutes. Now, she jumped up from the bed and began to dance around the room, went out in the yard and ate watermelon with her. <laughs> well, so obeying God is important, but I'm just saying we've got to do what it takes to stay under the anointing so that when we do go out and run into even something, final stages of cancer, or just somebody that's got a discouraged moment in their life because something hadn't worked just right. Whatever we've got, we've got carry, whatever we run into, rather, we're carrying an anointing that's equal to the problems that the people are facing. And we've got to know that. So I want to talk with you, Lord willing, next Wednesday night on things we can do to increase that level of anointing in our lives. Because the scripture does say, he who anointed us is God. It's not a question of whether or not you are anointed. You are anointed but we want to know how to release that anointing and, and stir that up. Amen. Did you get anything out of that tonight? Uh, I, I wish we had more time to get into it, but I, I, I pray you got something out of that tonight.